ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا ما يهده الله فلا مضل له وما يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلوات ربه وسلامه عليه وعلى اله واصحابه ومن دعا بدعوته الى يوم الدين اما بعد بلاد برادرز ان سيسس ان اسلام السلام عليكم ورحمه الله تعالى وبركاته الله سبحانه وتعالى سبيكس ان ذا هولي قران سوره ال عمران بس نمبر 33 الله سيز بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله اصطفى ادم ونوحا وال ابراهيم وال عمران على العالمين الله سبحانه وتعالى سيز ان بيدلي وي هاف تشوزن ادم ونوح نبي ادم ونبي نوح وال ابراهيم ان فاميلي اوف ابراهيم وال عمران على العالمين ان فاميلي اوف عمران ابوف اول that we have chosen that we have created of all the worlds today inshallah <coughs> we will try and give you a glimpse into surah ali imran surah ali imran is the the third surah of the holy quran after al fatiha and surah al baqarah so it's a very long surah So obviously what we do is we concentrate maybe on one verse of the whole surah. We concentrate on that which we feel needs to be explained and the purpose of which needs to be explained. Also we need to recognize the miraculous nature of this book the Quran. And we need to realize that we must get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by getting close to the Quran and we need to understand that this Quran is a miracle why is it a miracle because it puts into one book everything that transpired from the beginning of creation until the end of time there is no other book that can do it you cannot write a book that talks to you about everything important from the time of creation until the time of qiyamah subhanallah and yet the quran is not a history book no is the quran just a collection of stories about the prophets no is the quran telling us who will go to jannah and who will go to jahannam The Quran is a complete program for successful living in this world and successful and successfulness or success in the year after. And therefore as I said we looked at surah Luqman the last time we met we just looked at some of the verses of surah Luqman about how to raise a family. Prior to that the week before that we looked at surah Rahman and in fact we just looked at the word Rahman in that whole surah and today inshallah we are going to try and answer a question um today's topic revolves around again families because families are very important we all come from families we all if we're not married hope to have a family and those of us who have families we always pray that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should protect our families and that to guide our families and to make our family the best family in the bigger family that we have that is the wish of every mother every father but the question we ask ourselves today is <coughs> Does your family have an objective in life? Does your family your nuclear family your family consisting of a mother, a father and children does this unit have an objective in life? What is the objective of your family in life? 
Is this a difficult question to answer or is it an easy question to answer? When we look at objective, what do we mean an objective? What is an objective? It means something which you think about and then make an intention about. You're going to do this tomorrow, day after tomorrow, five years time. This is what you want to do in five years time, in ten years time. So young, like a young person going through life. First finish matric, go to university and married and so forth and so on. So does your family have this kind of objective? And today I address myself to everybody, especially young people who are not married yet, and young married people. And young people of all ages, girls and boys. We know that the deen of Islam is based on what is called niyyah, isn't it? We know that everything is about niyyah. This is what we were taught. It's what the old people used to tell us. Your niyyah is aldrich. Of course, I don't agree with that. But that is to try and make us have objectives in life. To make us think about things that we want to do. And to be firm on those things that we want to do. And the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa in a hadith, the first hadith as I told you before in Bukhari, where the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, إِنَّمَا وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ امْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى الدُّنْيَا يُصِيبُهَا أَوْ إِمْرَأَةٍ يَنْكِحُهَا فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَجْرَ إِلَيْهِ أو كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم What does the hadith of the Nabi صلى tell us? The hadith of the Nabi صلى tells us that Everything we do as Muslims, we must have an intention to do it. We must set an objective to do it. Like we come to Jummah today. Already, yes, last night we were thinking about where we're going to go for Jummah, what time we're going to leave work for Jummah, etc., etc., how our day is going to go today. That is niyyah. That is what the Nabi Sahib talks about. That you must have an intention. And the intention must always be a good intention. The Nabi goes on and says, فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ And he whose intention it is, an objective in life it is, to move towards Allah and His Rasul, then that is his objective, says the Nabi Sallallahu And the person's objective, if a person has an objective to marry a woman, that is objective. And if a man has an objective to gain part of this world, Maybe I have a few plots of ground, or a house, or houses, or factories, or businesses. فَهِجْرَةُ إِلَى مَا هَجْرَ إِلَيْهِ Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, then everybody has objectives. Everybody's got a niyyah. But is this, I mean we know for example, in marriage is very important. For a young man to want to get married is an important halal objective in life. We cannot deny that. But what's the point in getting married if you have no objectives in marriage? What's the point? What's the point in saying, I just want to get married? That's it. End of story. I'm going to get married and I'm going to get married. Or two people agree on some issue and they just agree. That's it. It's like, and I'll give you two examples of how silly this really is. People just getting married. People just marry, oh my son is married. Oh my daughter is married. Oh, that person is now married. As I said, it's a good thing. But let's look at it realistically. And we're taking marriage as an example. There are many other things that we do like this. Imagine that you go and to a building and you see there are people working in that building. They're building something. They're building a building. They're engineers, they're builders. They are quantity surveyors, they are inspectors, everybody is around this building with their hard hats on and things are just moving, cranes are going and people are moving and building. So you go up to them and you say, ask them, what are you doing? You go to the engineer or the site foreman, you say, what are you people doing here? And he says to you, we don't exactly know what we're doing, but we are working towards some kind of an objective. Uh, inshallah, Something 
imposing will come out of what we're doing here. We're going to build something, some imposing structure. Inshallah, we hope it's going to be beautiful and magnificent and majestic. And what will you do? You laugh at him. And he'll ask him, but why are you laughing? And you may say to and we will say, is this also the kind of objective we have about other things in life? Another example would be, you're on a plane, you're traveling on a plane, you're in a group of people traveling on a plane. And you go to the pilot and you ask the pilot, where are we going? And he says, well, you know, we put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inshallah, if a good wind comes, we flow with a good wind. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put us down in a good place. Will you be impressed by that? You won't be impressed by that. Because a beautiful plane, mashallah, you have a lot of passengers in it, you have a good pilot, but he's got no idea where he's going. He's just flying away. Somebody with a person who just gets married. And we say, Ya Allah, make dua for the married couple and so forth and so on. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you is that even the good that we do, there must be something in it. There must be some plan behind it. We have load shedding now. What is the cause of load shedding? We have power stations. We have nuclear power stations. We spend one billion rand a month. ESCOM spends a billion rand a month. On what? On what? On what? Yeah. On diesel. Do you know that for you to get this little power which you're getting now, ESCOM is spending a billion rand every month in buying diesel to fuel the what? To generate power for us. It's hopeless. It's unsustainable, completely unsustainable. It has to come to an end. Somewhere, somewhere the money is going to run out for buying diesel. But what was the main problem about this? Where did it start? It started with what? With a lack of planning. No plan. No near. No goal. No objective. Nothing. Just we had the infrastructure and we had the money and so we carried on. So it's important that in your, in your life as a married person or as a father or as a mother or as a son who's part of a family, if we don't have a kind of objective as a family, then we are just flying blind and we are just spending blind and we don't know where we're going. We're flying blind. And this ummah has been flying blind for a long time. I mean, we see what's happening in the Middle East. Because we've been flying blind, we've got we have all the assets, we've got all the oil, we've got everything that Allah SWT has given to us, but with no planning and no foresight, disaster comes down to us. Now, today, Ali Imran, the, main, the two main themes of Surah Ali Imran is number one, the conversations that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has with the Bani Israel, the Jews and the Christians concerning Tawheed. The second focus of Surah Ali Imran is the Battle of Uhud. Battle of Uhud. And the Battle of Uhud was the greatest disaster that hit the Muslims at the time. It was a complete failure and a total disaster. And it, it became a disaster because the objective that was set by the Nabi ﷺ was not adhered to at all times. Now you know the story about the archers and so forth and so on. But today we're going to focus on why is the surah called Ali Imran? The family of Imran. Why is the family of Imran so important in the surah? Because the example that Allah SWT wants to give us is that this is the family in the Qur'an that had a hadaf, that had an objective as a family. So Allah SWT raised their status by naming the third surah in the Qur'an after Ali Imran. Because of the fact that they were a family, 
And not only were they a family, but they had an objective as a family. And this family of Ali Imran consisted of who? A, a grandmother? Who was the grandmother of who? Who was she the grandmother of? Hmm? Hmm? Yes. Yeah, you were right. Say it again. Isa alayhi salatu salam. Isa alayhi salatu salam. Jesus, peace and blessings be upon him. Ali Imran, the wife of Imran, was the grandmother, and he, Imran, was the grandfather of Isa alayhi salatu salam. And it was the Imratu Imran. Allah doesn't talk about Imran in the surah either. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Listen. I want you to listen to the Quran which Allah revealed to Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And I want you to listen to the, the, the miraculous nature of this book and the beauty of this book and the way this book tells a story. So this surah is called Ali Imran, the family of Imran. But Imran is not mentioned. Allah mentions Imra'atu Imran. The wife of Imran. The partner of Imran. The surah deals not with Imran, was not a prophet. But the family of course has very great historic roots within the prophetic family comes from Nabi, Nabi Dawood and Nabi Sulaiman. That was their family. That was their the ancestors. But the surah deals with the objective that was laid down by his wife, the grandmother of Isa. Remember this. Ali Imran deals with the grandmother of Isa, والسلام, her name was Hannah. But Allah doesn't tell us what the name was. In other words, name wasn't important to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concentrates to bring us the message of what was her objective in life. And how she tried to realize this objective as the mother of a family first of all, and became a grandmother of course afterwards. So when I talk to you about an objective that a family, every family must have, subhanallah, and if maybe only 10% of Muslim families have an objective for their family, you know there's a difference as I said between getting married and getting married with an objective. I'm getting married to this woman because I have this in mind when I get married. I want to do this with my family. This is where I want to be in five years time with this wife and the family inshallah that Allah subhanahu is going to give to me. And this is where I want to be in 10, 15, 20 years time with this family. And if we have these objectives, and we work towards these objectives as a family again, we'll find that the magnetism that was there at the beginning of the marriage, the love and affection and the togetherness and the wanting to be together, that we had 20 years ago will remain there. Because we work as a family. But what happens today? As parents, we have objectives for our individual children. That child must become that, that child must become that, that child must become that. I must have enough money to see to that one's wedding and to this one's education and to build a house for them and so forth and so on. But we never sit down as a family. We never sit down as a mother, a father, and children say, we are the Adams family. Sorry, Adams. Or we are whatever family. What is our objective in life? Allah subhanahu has given us this family. What can we do for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a family? That is what Ali Imran, Surah Ali Imran teaches us. Now this family of Imran, as I said to you, has a very deep history. It comes from, they are from the family of 
Nabi Dawood, Nabi Sulaiman alayhi salatu salam. And Imran and his wife had only one single daughter. They had one daughter. And she was married to Zakaria. Zakaria eventually became a, a Nabi. They had no other children. In fact, they couldn't have more children. Because when they married their daughter to Zakaria, he was already old. You can imagine how old they were. They were the parents. So they were old. Their daughter was old. And Zakaria was old. But she wanted to have another child. I'll tell you why. And Allah subhanAllah says that these families from Nabi Sulaiman, Nabi Dawood, Nabi Zakaria, all these families, these great prophetic families, they were all connected. But the connection was not so much in the blood, but the connection was in their commitment to change the world and make it a better place. That was their commitment. So to all the young men and young women, if you come from a family that is a good family, a family of standing, then you should commit yourself never to besmirch the name of your family. Always try and uphold the name of your family, the good name of your family. And we'll see why. Do not do haram. Do not be disobedient to your parents. Do not turn away from ibadah. And so forth and so on. And try and keep the name of your family the highest, because it's very important. And we'll see the barakah that Allah Allah gives to families who look after each other, who have values. And we know this. Some families, they say, we will, our family will never do that. This never happens in our family. These are the values that we that has been handed down in our family since time immemorial. Secondly, young men and young women, when you're going to get married, when you have an intention of marrying someone, then choose a good family for your children to get married into. Today we have separated the future wives and husbands of our children to only that particular person. We say, well, maybe that's, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's how, I don't know, maybe that's how it should be, but shouldn't be. Because you're not only marrying that girl or that boy, you're marrying the family of that girl and that boy. Ask, ask those of us who are married for a long time. You marry the family, you don't marry the girl. Because many times people, you ask your son, why are you getting married to that girl? He says, well, she's a good girl, she makes salah, she does this, she does that, you know, she's a, etc, etc, etc. But if you look at the family, it doesn't concur with what you would want for your child. But he wants her, she's a good person, you know, and you say, well, you know, because your son will have a, a, a degree of of influence over her, and will change her, and so forth and so on. But the Sharia tells us that one of the requirements, and Imam Abu Hanifa is very set on this kind of requirement, which he calls the Jad, that you should marry your social equal. Imam Abu Hanifa says that one of the requirements of marriage is that a girl should marry her social equal. A man can marry anybody. But why? Because she, he will bring the girl up to his level, up to his status. But a girl, Abu Hanifa, must marry within her social, uh, must marry a social equal. Very important. So, the family of Ali Imran comes from that kind of family. And they protected this family so much so that because of the protection of the family and the principles the family had, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala names the third surah in the Qur'an after this family. 
not just, not just for nothing. Allah raised his status to such a level, and Imran was not a prophet. His wife was not a prophet. Remember, this was an ordinary, poor family that Allah swallowed. They were a good family, but they were not a prophetic family. Imran was not a prophet. Ali Imran was, it wasn't the family of the prophet Imran. It was just the family of Imran. And about his wife. Why? Because of the wife. Because the wife had an objective for this family. And this family was not a rich family. It was an ordinary family. It wasn't a family that had a big bank balance. It was a family that had a big balance by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. From what the family had done from the beginning, their parents and from their parents down, that built up this great balance by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fathers, the grandfathers, the great-grandfathers, they packed their balance by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised their status to Ali Imran, the third surah, and the Quran is named after them. When we look at verse 34 in surah Ali Imran, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts to mention them, what does Allah say? إِنَّ اللَّهَ أَصْطَفَى آدَمَ وَنُوحًا وَآلَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَآلَ عِمْرَانَ عَلَى الْعَالَمِينَ And again, I want you to listen to the verse. Because sometimes, you know, we don't, we read, we recite the Qur'an, we don't read the Qur'an. I've been talking like this for the last, phew, I think maybe 40 years. Maybe one person has listened to what I said. To read the Qur'an. Yes, you must recite the Qur'an. But recital is for barakah. Reading is for improving your life. And getting to Jannah. So, Allah says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ اصْطَفَى Allah has chosen. Who? Adam and Nuh. Adam and Nuh. وَآلِ Ibrahim. But Allah says, the family of Ibrahim. And the family of Imran. Above all the nations of the world. Why does Allah mention Adam and Nuh? Only Adam and Nuh, not the family of Adam and the family of Nuh. Allah mentions the family of Ibrahim and the family of Imran. I, I, what I'm trying to say to you, my dear brothers and sisters, is that the words of the Quran was chosen by you who created the universe. Every word in the Qur'an has a spectacular meaning and a spectacular background and teaches the world things, subhanallah, that blends the family with Uhud, with Badr, with Muhammad, with Nuh, with Isa. Every, everything in the Qur'an is like a, like a blinding light if you look at it and you understand it and you read it with understanding. So Allah says, I chose Nuh and Adam. But I chose the family of Ibrahim and the family of Imran. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that the family is so important. The family is very, very important. That's why Allah doesn't mention the family of Adam. Why not? Because they are children of Adam that went off the path. Family of children of Adam that they went off the path. Qabil, son of Adam, killed his brother. Nuh, great prophet, subhanAllah. But one of his sons went, and his wife went, stayed. Which means the family wasn't kept to that level of status which Allah demands. But Ali Ibrahim, the family of Ibrahim, who was the family of Ibrahim? Family of Ibrahim, Ishaq, Ismail, no. Yaqub, and then who was the famous one of Yaqub, famous prophet? Surah of the Quran is named after him. Yusuf. So you find the whole al, the whole family of Ibrahim maintained the status as a family. Maintain the goodness as a family. See how important it is for the whole family to keep the goodness within the family? 
Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means Ali Imran, same with Ali Imran. So, this tells us the important job that mothers and fathers have to inculcate into their children principles of your family. And I said this over and over to you. I said, you must tell your children that this family will not do this, 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 this. My father laid down principles for us. These are the things we're not going to do. These are the things we don't do. We don't deal in riba. We don't get married on a Thursday night. For being a, for saying something which is. But you see, if you don't imprint this in your minds of your children and make it a law and a principle, that sticks in the mind of your. You can't just assume. No, 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 no. We don't have sex before marriage. How, how many of you have told your children that? How many of you have told your children, sitting around the breakfast or table to say, this family doesn't have sex before marriage. This family, all the marriages that we have, should have in this family will be halal. All the children in this family will be halal. This is the status which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to that kind of family. Allah mentions them as families in the Quran. And even the prophets, Allah mentions them as singular prophets. Because some of the family members went astray. They're not to blame for it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving us a message as families. You know, when you do sociology, when you study sociology in university, one of the things they teach you is about the, the, the basic unit of society, which is the family. And they tell you when this family goes, society goes. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to tell us here. What all the sociologists can't tell us is that this, this is very important for us as a family. So as I said to you, this surah Ali Imran was revealed in Medina. Started at the battle of Badr. Went right through before Uhud and after Uhud. But we're not dealing with that part of the, of the surah about the failures of Uhud and the coming of the people, Christians of Najran to discuss the status of Isa with the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Suffice it to say to you in one sentence, then when I was reading this, I said to myself, yeah, the, when you look at Isa alayhi wasallam and the miracle birth of Isa alayhi wasallam, then the Christians tell us that he was such a big miracle that we make him a God. That he was not born, he was born without a father. That, but it's the wrong end of the stick. He was born because Allah wanted him to be born like that. Not because he himself wanted to be born like that. He had no power to have himself be born without a father. But that's what the Christians think. That he had, this, he had a, a power by himself to make himself be born without a father. But it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore the person to be praised and raised is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it possible. So what then was the hadaf or what was the objective of the grandmother of Isa alayhi that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions her in the Qur'an? And doesn't mention her husband's name, it mentions only her name. So, uh, Imra'atu Imran. She had one objective. Her objective was Palestine. Listen, I'm saying to you that the greatness and glory of the Quran can only be understood if we read the Quran with understanding. And of course, if we learn the Quran with understanding. If we try to make an effort to come to lectures on the Qur'an, for example. That's another story I talk about for 40 years. So, what about Palestine? What objective did she have about Palestine? At the time when she lived with her husband Imran, and Abi Zakaria, and so forth and so on, the Romans had conquered Palestine. And what did they do? 
They forced the people to relinquish the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought by Musa alayhi salatu salam. In fact, they not only forced them to leave the deen, they forced them by having them eaten by lions and tigers, as you know in the arenas. They were thrown to the tigers and the lions, the believers, if they didn't want to convert to the Roman religion, which was the religion of wasaniya, of idol worships, idol worshipping. Because you know they're the god of love, I think his name is Eros, god of beauty, god of this, god of that, all kinds of gods. We are not far from there. I just heard the other day somebody was saying that. Yeah. His son is in Polsmo or somewhere. And he was saying there's a kramat, special one. A special kramat, which people go to that specializes in getting your son out of jail. Not all of them have that expertise. Only some of them have that expertise. Others again are doctors. You go there and they will cure you of illness. It's kind of wathaniya, shirk, idol worshipping. Same, we have it today. So, the Romans then had subjugated Palestine and had brought their faith. The emperor, of course, was also a god, had to be worshipped. So people were forced to leave their faith. And you never hear the Christians talk about this. What do they say? It is the Muslims and Islam that forced people to become Muslim. It was Islam that was spread by the sword. And yet, the Quran is the only religious book that has the following sentence in their book. La ikraf din. Not to be found in the Bible, not to be found. No, no other book. No other divinely revealed book as this verse. There shall be no compulsion in religion. Nobody must be compelled to accept religion. Any religion. Subhanallah. The wife of Imran saw the situation. That her town, Palestine, her country, was being converted from a land of Tawheed to a land of Shirk. People's Aqidah was being changed. And she wanted to do something about that. As a grandmother. As a grandmother of Isa a.s. But she was old. قَالَ رَبِّ إِنِّي وَهَنَ الْعَظْبُ مِنِّي وَاشْتَعَلَ الرَّأْسُ شَيْبًا Her husband was old and he said, Oh my Lord, my wife wants to have another child. My hair is totally gray, I'm an old man. My bones are old, everything about me is old. He was in his 90s. But she had this intention. She had this niya. She wanted to do something for Palestine. So what do we want to do for Palestine? What do we say? We want to give what to Palestine? Money, bullets, tanks, planes. We want to send armies there. We want to get on the plane and go there and fight on the side of the Palestinians. What did she want to do? She said to herself, I want to raise a nation that will stand up against the Romans and defeat them. I want to raise a nation that will be committed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's tawheed and change the world by loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and being committed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what did she want? She wanted a child. 
She wanted to give birth to a child. She wanted to give birth to a child that she intended to change the world. Mothers who are pregnant or mothers who are going to have children. Or us as fathers. Who of us think about that kind of subhanallah sacrifice? That Allah must give us a child that will change the world. That we dedicate that child to the service of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's not a difficult decision to make. That's a difficult. And eventually she found that she was pregnant. She found that despite her age, despite her husband's age, she became pregnant. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted the dua. Allah accepted her, her hiwar, her conversation she had with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why the, the ulama say that sometimes a small thing becomes big in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of your intention. And something big that you intend becomes small in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of your small intention. You want to do something but your intention is, well, maybe, maybe not. So she came with this intention to have this child who will change the world. Just as Nabi Ibrahim salam. When Allah subhanahu wa says to him, Ibrahim, make your intention that the world will come to this desert. They will bring the best food to this desert. The best fruit to this desert. All the wealth of the world will come to this desert, will come to Makkah. Ibrahim said, Ya Allah, how is that possible? There's not even water here. There's no water. Zamzam wasn't there yet. Allah said, make adhan. Make your niyyah, make adhan, call the people for hajj. Ya'atuka rijalan, wa'ala kulli dhaminin ya'atina min kulli fajin amik. Allah said, don't worry, you just call. Make your intention to do what you have to do, what you want to do to attract the people to Makkah. Did Allah accept his intention? Tell me. Subhanallah. It seemed hopeless at that time. But because his intention was so strong, subhanallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, now, today, they just, I just saw a little photograph, somebody sent it to me, of the train that's going to go for 20 minutes from Jeddah to, to Makkah. It's there, it's going to be operational soon. That was part of the niyyah of Nabi Ibrahim, alayhi salam. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Rabbi inni nadartu. She said, Oh my Lord, I dedicate to you ma fi batani, what is in my, in my womb. Muharraran. I dedicate what is in my womb to your service. Fataqabbal minni. Accept it from me. إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ السَّمِيُّ الْعَلِيمُ Verily they are all hearing, they all knowing. Allah accepts all the du'as. And Allah says, فَتَقَبَّلَهَا رَبُّهَا بِقَبُولٍ حَسَنٍ Allah says that Allah accepted her du'a with a very good acceptance. Whole-heartedly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted du'a. But what happened? Because what did she want? She wanted a big son, a strong son who will lead will lead the ummah of the time against the Romans and expel them from Palestine. But what happened? فَلَّمَا وَضَعَتْهَا قَالَتْ رَبِّ إِنِّي وَضَعَتُهَا أُنْثَى When she gave birth, she looked and she said, Ya Allah, but this is a girl. 
This is a girl, ya Allah. You gave me a girl. Like sometimes, you know, we ask for something and we get something different. We say, yeah, but you know, I want to go for Hajj, man. Now I'm only going for Umrah, you know. Or I ask for 10 rand, Allah gave me 2 rand. So she said, it's a girl. What now? Wallahu a'lamu bima wada'at. And Allah says, Allah knows why you gave birth to a girl. وَلَيْسَ ذَكَرُكَ unsa Because boys are not like girls, Allah says. She says, I know. Allah says, I'm, I'm Allah, I know. A girl is not a boy and a boy is not a girl. They're different. They have different objectives, different roles in life. But why did Allah give her a girl? A girl baby. Could even have a son. Or maybe a prophet. Allah gave her a girl. And what name did she give to the girl? She named the girl Maryam. And then she was. There she was. This old lady with a girl, she asked Allah to change the world, and Allah gives her a girl. It's like people can't have children, and they get, then they wait and wait, and then... Allah gives them a child, and what did they want? They wanted a boy. And Allah gives them a girl. And they have no more other children. Subhanallah. And sometimes they're disappointed. Don't be disappointed. Because the time for what has to come hasn't arrived yet. Allah SWT knew in giving her a boy at that time wasn't the right time for a boy. The society was not right for her to give birth to a boy that would change the world at that time. So the divine wisdom decided, Allah decided that I'm going to give you a girl now who will give birth to who? Isa salam. Who will change the world? And what do we say about girls? Why don't we? Why? Why is it that sometimes people are disappointed when they give birth to girls? What about my name? If I don't have a boy, what about my name? La hawla Whose name will be there until the end of time? Who will come back at the end of time? Isa alaihissalam. His name will be there from the time that he was born until the time of the end of the earth. So what do you want? Subhanallah. Look, look, look at the divine wisdom of Allah. Subhanallah. And because of her near intention was so great that Allah subhanahu had given his birth itself to be a miracle to mankind. So, the message to the mothers, in fact, if 10% of Muslims in the world, or Muslims in our community, should have this kind of family gathering where we speak about the objectives of your family. What, is, what would be the goal of your family as a family? A family, what, what, what Allah SWT is trying to say to us here in Ali Imran, that this woman, the grandmother of Isa salam, with her husband, sat down and decided that this is what they want to do. And what they want to do is, they want to do it for Allah SWT's sake. Now I'm looking at you and thinking to myself, so what do we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Yes, we have an example. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the children that is born, we dedicate them to the service of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what do we do? We think, oh, na makhtsana, I'm making a maulana. 
Sheikh is saying you must be good. I have good objectives. First objective, now is first child, next child must be, even if it's a girl, she must become muallima. The mother, the, the grandmother of Isa didn't ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a maulana, or for a sheikh, or for a muallima. She asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, she wanted to address in her community the needs of her. What were the needs of the greatest needs in her community? Fortunately, the greatest need in our community is not more maulana or sheikhs or imams. They seem to create more problems than anything. Including myself, of course. So a family needs to look at the society in which he lives, not live in the Middle East like we live. We live in the Middle East. All we can talk about is ISIS and uh, the Saudis and the Yemenis and the Syrians and, and, and whatever. We don't live here. As if we don't live in Cape Town. As if Khailicha is not here on our doorstep. As if there's no longer no na younger here. As if we seem to live in some very fairy uh, Islamic state that's in, uh, in the making somewhere in, in, in Iraq or somewhere. Hoping for some Khalifa to fall from the sky one day and to come with a yellow sword and to rid the world of all the Americans. Inshallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us, look at the problems in your community. Get your family together and make, let them have an objective to solve some of the problems in your community. That which faces your community. Those problems, they faces them. They have to deal with it over there. Even if we want to deal with it, we can't deal with it. How do we deal with the problems in Yemen? We can't. But how many of us ever discuss the problems yeah. You go to any Muslim family today, or any discussion group, what will we talk about? Oh, look at Yemen. Oh, what are the Saudis doing? Oh, what about this? Oh, what about Syria? So what Ali Imran is telling us, what Allah is telling us, oh Muslims of the world, concentrate on your own communities. And use your own family to read some objectives and set objectives which is realistic. Even if you collect five rand a month from your own children and make an intention that this money is going to be used for something good in the community. Or as people do is the rich people, they start a trust for the community. But every family has to do something. We have to have some input into the resolution of the issues that we see in our community. So may Allah SWT guide us inshallah. And make us get closer to the Quran to understand and to learn the lessons that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us in the Quran. Shukran wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa